Good evening, everyone. Please open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 62. Isaiah 62. We'll be reading the whole chapter. It's not a long one. But if you would, please stand with me out of respect for God's holy word. Isaiah 62, beginning in verse 1. And this is not just the pre-introduction to the sermon. This is God's holy, inspired word. Let us hear it well together. Isaiah 62. For Zion's sake will I not hold my peace, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not rest, until the righteousness thereof go forth as brightness, and the salvation thereof as a lamp that burneth. And the Gentiles shall see thy righteousness, and all kings thy glory. And thou shalt be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord shall name. Thou shalt also be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord, and a royal diadem in the hand of thy God. Thou shalt no more be termed forsaken, neither shall thy land any more be termed desolate. But thou shalt be called Hephzibah. And thy land, Beulah. For the Lord delighteth in thee, and thy land shall be married. For as a young man marrieth a virgin, so shall thy sons marry thee. And as the bridegroom rejoiceth over the bride, so shall thy God rejoice over thee. I have set watchmen upon thy walls, O Jerusalem, which shall never hold their peace day nor night. Ye that make mention of the Lord, keep not silence, and give him no rest till he establish, and till he make Jerusalem a praise in the earth. The Lord has sworn by his right hand, and by the arm of his strength, surely I will no more give thy corn to be meat for thy enemies, and the sons of the stranger shall not drink thy wine, for the which thou hast labored. But they that have gathered it shall eat it and praise the Lord. And they that have brought it together shall drink it in the courts of my holiness. Go through, go through the gates. Prepare ye the way of the people. Cast up, cast up the highway. Gather out the stones. Lift up a standard for the people. Behold, the Lord hath proclaimed unto the end of the world. Say ye to the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy salvation cometh. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work before him. And they shall call them the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. And thou shalt be called sought out, a city not forsaken. Let us pray again. O our God, we ask you again to hear these requests that we have made, that you would meet with us now that we would not do just a human thing here. Lord, we could tickle our own fancies. We could exalt our own pride. We could, we could focus on men. But, oh, Lord, we want to magnify your holiness and your greatness. We want to exalt you. So help us to do that in the hearing and speaking of your holy truth. We pray for Christ's sake. Amen. You may be seated. 
Our focus this evening will be verses 6 and 7 in the center of the chapter. I wish we had time to move through the whole chapter. What a beautiful passage it is. Verses 6 and 7. I have set watchmen upon thy walls, O Jerusalem, which shall never hold their peace day nor night. Ye that make mention of the Lord, keep not silence, and give him no rest till he establish until he make Jerusalem a praise in the earth. Our title tonight is Praying Watchmen. Prayer is one of the most precious Christian activities. By prayer, a creature of earth ascends to heaven itself. By prayer, redeemed sinners come boldly to the throne of grace, the very throne of God himself. Prayer is sweet communion with our precious Savior. The Christian's prayer closet is the love chamber where our soul and Christ form real friendship. But prayer is also hard work. Prayer is the enemy of pleasure, earthly pleasure, carnal pleasure. Prayer is an enemy of covetousness. Prayer is the enemy of sloth, laziness. Prayer and selfishness are at constant war together. Prayer is the chopping block where we obey that command, put to death or mortify the members of your body, Colossians 3. Prayer is that anvil where the Holy Spirit hammers our Christian personhood into the image of Christ from glory to glory. And because it's hard, prayer is often the first of our activities to be neglected. Other things become important and prayer withers and shrinks. If we are in Christ, prayer never dies. But it can be very sick and lean. Believe me, I know. In my own prayer hours in the morning, I have seen some of the skinniest, most impoverished and useless prayers. What makes our prayers so sick and lean at times? There are many reasons. Sin is definitely one of them. But I think there is a chief reason among them for many of us as Christians. We forget the glorious privilege that prayer is. We forget the glorious privilege of prayer. When we overlook the high and holy privilege of prayer, our prayers can become routine, habitual, and heartless. We dare not quit, but we satisfy ourselves with muttering rather than pleading, with distracted repetitions of words rather than intense pouring out of our soul's longings to God. But here in Isaiah 62, in the center of the chapter, couched between God's glorious promises of what he will do for his people, in verses 6 and 7, we get a glimpse of the amazing privilege of prayer. And what is that privilege? A participation, a communion, a fellowship, a working together with the Almighty God in his glorious works in this world. So may the Lord Jesus Christ use this word to purge us from selfishness and routineness in prayer. Here we see that God makes his people watchmen, sentinels, guards, to participate in the fulfillment of his glorious promises by reminding him of those promises. 
Let's consider very quickly, very briefly, the context of Isaiah, of this passage in Isaiah. Isaiah 59 to 62 is kind of the section we're in. Israel's experience of misery at the time that Isaiah is writing is not due to God's hand being shortened so he couldn't save or his ear heavy so he couldn't hear. Their sins are the cause of God's withdrawing from them. The Lord saw their wicked sins and it displeased him that there was none to intercede or save. So he himself put on his armor and went to battle on their behalf. As he goes forth to battle, he foretells the victory to his people in chapter 60. Arise, shine, for thy light has come. Darkness will cover the earth, but the Lord will arise upon thee, and the Gentiles shall come to thy light, and kings to the brightness of thy rising. All the power and wealth of the Gentiles will come to Israel. The sun will never set on Israel, nor the moon withdraw, for the Lord will be their light, and the days of their mourning will be ended. Then we hear the voice in chapter 61, which is confirmed to us by Christ as being that of our Savior himself. Isaiah 61, verse 1, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. The Messiah will bring the restoration, and it will be eternally secured to his people by an everlasting covenant. Instead of shame will be joy. Instead of robbery, truth. These glorious promises of the Messiah's restoration of God's people are the context of Isaiah 62, the passage that we've read. And the first part of Isaiah 62, verses 1 through 5, are a summary of those great promises that he made in chapter 61. And then he repeats them again or affirms them in verses 8 through 12, the end of the chapter. And so verses 6 and 7 function as a, an interlude, a kind of interruption in there, in the middle of God's declaration of his glorious promises of salvation and deliverance for his people. With that context in mind, I would like to state my proposition from verses 6 and 7. When God promises to do his great work of salvation by Christ, God's people are called to participate by prayer. This participation of prayer is pictured here in the form of watchmen on Jerusalem's walls who do not let him rest, but cry out for the fulfillment of promises and watch for the answer from him. I have three points. Prayer is pictured as a God-given privilege because God is the one who posts his watchmen on Jerusalem's walls. Secondly, prayer is pictured as a full-time, incessant privilege. And then thirdly, prayer is pictured by these watchmen on Jerusalem's walls as the human activity that participates in God's activity. So first, prayer is pictured as a God-given privilege because God is the one who posts these watchmen on Jerusalem's walls. What are watchmen? Watchmen were commonplace in ancient Israel. Many people lived in cities which were tightly built communities of homes and businesses that were surrounded by a wall of stone with access only by gates. Watchmen, either soldiers or servants, were often stationed on those walls or in watchtowers near the gates to keep guard against intruders, and to notify the inhabitants of messengers who might be arriving. 
But Isaiah's watchmen are unusual. Let's read verse 6 again. I have set watchmen upon thy walls, O Jerusalem, which shall never hold their peace day nor night. Ye that make mention of the Lord, keep not silence and give him no rest till he establish and till he make Jerusalem a praise in the earth. These watchmen are unusual. These are not guarding against enemies from outside the city. They are not waiting for messengers to arrive. Isaiah's sentinels, watchmen here on Jerusalem's walls, have their eye on heaven. They are lifting up their voices to the God of heaven. You know, when an unbeliever sees God's promises that have not yet been fulfilled, he scoffs and ignores God's promises. But when a believer sees unfulfilled promises, he goes up to his watchtower to look at heaven and wait for the fulfillment of the promise, to watch for the promise to be fulfilled, to plead for its fulfillment, to remind God about it, and to urge and argue for its fulfillment. That's faith. But notice who posts these watchmen. I think I said Isaiah just a minute ago. But as you read this passage, we have I being used several times. And the first I in this, in this section is chapter 61, verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. And maybe Isaiah was thinking of it in some sense of himself. But inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, he was speaking of Christ. And we know he was, without question, because Christ told the people there in Galilee, this day is this word fulfilled in your ears. Christ is the one speaking in 61. Maybe Christ is speaking in 62, verse 1, for Zion's sake I will not hold my peace, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not rest. And then in verse 6, I would say it's either Christ or God himself saying, I have set watchmen upon thy walls, O Jerusalem. God, or Christ as the Son of God, is the one who posts these watchmen. God puts these watchmen in place to remind himself of his glorious promises and thereby to participate in their fulfillment. God doesn't need reminding of anything, but it's a privilege for his people to be in this position. Who are these watchmen? It's true that elders are watchmen of God's people in a very specific and special sense. Old Testament prophets and teachers and New Testament elders are all portrayed in Scripture as watchmen. And these are often spoken of as watchmen in the sense of watching out for danger and protecting God's people from harm. For example, in Isaiah 56, verse 10, Isaiah talks about Israel's spiritual leaders, and he calls them watchmen. He says they are bad watchmen, ignorant, sleepy, like dumb dogs that don't bark, greedy, worse than useless in God's community. In chapter 62, here in chapter 62, elders certainly fit this description of looking out for the fulfillment of God's promises and crying out to God for it. Maybe that's why the apostles in Acts chapter 6 said, we will give ourselves 
continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. But I believe this watchman principle is applicable to us as well as all believers. Throughout the book of Isaiah, as you read the book, and I'm not an expert on Isaiah, it's a big book, but Isaiah has a broad emphasis on prayer and faith for all God's people. All believers who prayerfully wait for the promise of God's deliverance will be blessed in the book of Isaiah. We see that prayerful faith in chapter 25, verse 9. It shall be said in that day, lo, this is our God. We have waited for him and he will save us. Who's the we and us? All of God's people. This is the Lord we have waited for him. We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. All of God's people waiting for God's salvation. Isaiah 33, verse 2. O Lord, be gracious unto us. We have waited for thee, all of God's people. And last week, we just heard from Isaiah 40, the end of the chapter. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. All of God's people waiting on him. That's a characteristic of a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's looking, he's waiting, he's watching out for the fulfillment of God's promises. It's an earnest expectation of the believing people of God looking for the fulfillment of God's glorious promises. So while elders are specially dedicated watchmen, all of God's people should be watchmen as we see it here. And as we move to the New Testament, doesn't the New Testament portray all believers as crying out to God in prayer? Come, Lord Jesus, all of us watching and praying, aren't we all commanded to pray without ceasing? I will mention some more of those verses from the New Testament at the very end. But we can see that all believers can learn something from these, this picture of the watchman that God has placed on Jerusalem's walls. God is the one who put them on these walls. While he's promising these blessings to Israel, he doesn't just say, don't worry about it. Sit back. Don't even think about it. I'm just going to do it. No. He says, I have put watchmen on the walls of Jerusalem, Jerusalem representing the people of God in in their most organized and most settled and most blessed condition. I have set watchmen upon thy walls, O Jerusalem, which shall never hold their peace, day nor night. Ye that make mention of the Lord, keep not silence, and give him no rest. God qualifies these watchmen. Without grace, without God's working in us, you and I were like pigs returning to our mud. We were like dogs going back to our vomit, We couldn't look any higher than the slop in front of our faces. Maybe that slop for you or me was money or pleasure or fame or pride, but that's where it stopped. We were not watchmen. We were very short-sighted creatures. All we could see was the next thing we wanted. But the Holy Spirit transformed us. He gave us eyes to see. Now we can look up. Why did he change us? Why did he change us? You say, well, he wanted to deliver us from our sins and save us. That's right, he did. But why did he not just take us straight to glory from there? He changed us and left us here so we could be watchmen. 
watching him and crying out for his answers. Prayer is a privilege that God went to all the trouble of saving us for. God saved you to pray. I have set watchmen upon thy walls, O Jerusalem. But these watchmen that God makes by salvation and calls to this work of looking up and reminding him of his promises, they persevere in the most unlikely times. That's, that's what the context gives us here. Because here in chapter 62, God is making these glorious promises, but Isaiah is writing at a time when the nation of Judea is full of idolatry. It is a very low time spiritually. Most of the kings that were during that period were corrupt. We read about one this evening that was not King Hezekiah. He was not corrupt. He was a great blessing to the nation. But there were many kings during that season that were very evil, idolatrous. Exile was looming within just a few generations. And Isaiah speaks about it. It was a dark time, but God is giving these great promises. And he's saying through the dark time, these watchmen will stand on the wall. They'll stand in their watch. They will be looking up to heaven, watching for what I will do as they plead my promises. I can think of a few examples of men and women in Scripture who illustrate this for us very well. Think of Daniel. Daniel was a watchman, and he's after Isaiah. Isaiah's made these promises, these glorious promises of salvation. Then he says, there will be watchmen that God will place on the wall. Well, when Israel is taken captive and sent to Babylon, most of the people, it appears, turned to idolatry. They, they, they figured, well, God has forsaken us. This is the end of all things for us. But God reserved to himself some who were faithful to him. And Daniel was one of them. Go to the book of Daniel, chapter 9. Daniel 9. We'll just read the first couple of verses. This is where Daniel takes time to pray and humble himself before the Lord. Daniel chapter 9. And remember that Jeremiah the prophet, right before Israel had been taken into captivity to Babylon, Jeremiah the prophet had prophesied that Israel would be in that captivity for 70 years. So here in Daniel chapter 9, verses 1, and we'll read up to, I think, verse 3 or so. It says, In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the seed of the Medes, which was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. This is an unlikely time for the fulfillment of God's promises. This is exile, national misery. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books, the books of the prophets, the number of the years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. So what does this watchman do when he reads in a book that there's a specific time related to the fulfillment of God's promises? And I set my face unto the Lord God. What is he doing? Standing on his watch, looking up to heaven. Not now as a faithful shepherd looking out for enemies of God's people. Not now as other responsibilities he might have keeping the enemies from coming in the gates, but as a true watchman of God's people looking up to God. What will God do 
Isn't it the 70th year? Isn't it time for you to return the people? And I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my confession and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love him and to them that keep his commandments, we have sinned and have committed iniquity. And he cries out to God and God answers him by an angel. It was an unlikely time, but God, did God say some watchmen will rise up? No, he said, I have set watchmen on the walls of Jerusalem. God had Daniel there. Daniel wasn't just a great guy. You know, we sing a song, especially for kids, Dare to be a Daniel, and my Daniel likes the song. But Daniel wasn't just being a Daniel. God raised up Daniel. God made Daniel. May God make more Daniels among us. Watchmen for God's great works. Let's look at another example. Actually, it's a, it's a couple of people, but in one passage of Scripture. Go forward to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. We find we're, we're in an unlikely time in the book of Luke. It's a time when the people of God, as they were known in Judea, were at a very low state. What was the political condition of this, this, this beginning of the gospel record? What was the condition of Israel at that time? It did not look right for the greatest unleashing of the unfulfilled promises that had been unleashed for centuries. If, people, if God's people looked around at what was going on around them in their environment, they would not have been stirred up by what they saw to zealous prayer and watchman-like seriousness. No, at that time, Herod the Great, an Idumean enemy of God's people, was on the throne of Judea over God's people. Pagan Rome, filthy and idolatry, is using their military power to oppress Judea. Jerusalem is occupied by Roman soldiers. The Romans gave the Jews a little, a little freedom to do their own political stuff, so the Jews had a Sanhedrin, kind of roughly like our Congress. And they had a high priest who was really just a political figure. But in, the, in this time of Luke chapter 2, even the Jewish elders, the Sanhedrin, and the, and the Jewish high priests were either sold out to Rome, pawns of Herod, or legalistic zealots who had no clue what true religion was all about. And the average, the vast multitudes of Judea were godless, unclean, and suffering. They were like sheep without a shepherd. But what do we find when we read about the glorious birth of Christ we're not going to read all the passage here, but of course, read it often. But we'll start in verse 25. Luke chapter 2, verse 25. What do we find waiting and watching in Jerusalem in that unlikely time? What do we find when all of the political power of, of Judea is taken up with their own political intrigue, with their own tricks of getting in with Herod and getting out with somebody else and manipulating things, and if you walked into Jerusalem and just looked at it and thought, is there spiritual hope for this place? You would say no. Even go to the temple, and what do you find? People selling stuff. We could mention how God's work has become a very large business in our day. But as 
Mary and Joseph bring their son, our Lord Jesus Christ, to have him consecrated at the temple of God. It says in verse 25, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem. Did we read about Jerusalem in Isaiah 62? A man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Ghost was upon him, and it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And apparently it wasn't just because he had received that promise that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. It appears with the way it's worded, he was already waiting for the consolation of Israel before he received the promise that he would see him. He was waiting for it because of the word of God, because of the promises. He was watching. He was waiting. He was looking not to Herod. He was looking not to Pharisees. He was looking to heaven. Heaven help. God help. And God did. Verse 27, And he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For my eyes, mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Why was it so amazing? What was, so, what, was, what was the source of this powerful word? A watchman who stood on the walls of Jerusalem. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against, yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Verse 36, And there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity, and she was a widow of about fourscore and four years, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers Night and day. What kind of posture is that? It's the posture of looking to heaven. Amen. It's, it, it, women are allowed in this watchman squad. Normally you select some burly young men for this work, but here you have an older man and an older woman who are in this, this squad. There were not many in Jerusalem. There were few, but God kept his promise. I have set upon the walls of Jerusalem. And she coming in that instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spoke of him to all them that looked for redemption in Israel. Where would they look? To heaven. There were others. There were a whole group of these people who were intent on seeing God fulfill his word. And when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, his parents returned to Galilee to their own city. God creates watchmen by salvation, and then he empowers them to persevere in unlikely times for his glory and their great joy. How much more glad was Simeon 
of seeing the Lord's Christ than he would have been if the Lord had ordained that Christ be born to David. You know, David received the promise that one of his sons would sit on the throne forever. So what if Christ was born right then? And what if Solomon was Christ? We just imagine. Then there would be joy, but there wouldn't be as much joy as those who have gone through hundreds, experienced in their nation hundreds of years of apparent desolation, and all they had to cling to was a promise of God. And the only source of hope was God in heaven. The watchmen on Jerusalem's walls are not looking around them primarily. They look. They have words for those around them, especially when they see the fulfillment of the promise. But their eyes are on heaven. They're watching heaven. If you think our modern day, in a sense, is just as bad off as the days of Anna and Simeon, then it's different. We have the gospel. We have the the record of Christ. And so we have much more than they had. But as far as the condition that our society is in, it's bad. Our rulers are secularized. Our community is drug addicted and shot through with terrible perversions. Our churches are sick and dying. But this is the time for God's watchmen to be watching heaven. God has qualified you if he has saved you to be a watchman, a watchwoman. God has called you and appointed you and set you on the wall to watch at this most needy time. Back to Isaiah 62. Not only is God the one who appoints and sets these watchmen in their place, I have set watchmen upon thy walls, O Jerusalem. But this, this, this watching, this privilege of prayer is a full-time incessant privilege. These are full-time watchmen. Verse 6 again, I've set watchmen upon thy walls, O Jerusalem, which shall never hold their peace day nor night. The vision, the, the sight of God's promises is so glorious and so great to these watchmen that they are all absorbed with it. They don't stop. And as we move from the the picture here in Isaiah to the New Testament and its, what we might call its its practical fulfillment, we might say, well, maybe maybe, maybe the language will be changed a little bit. But doesn't Paul say to pray without ceasing? Now, we do have to qualify that for those of us who are very woodenly literal. Should we be doing nothing else besides praying as an action? No, the New Testament is full of all kinds of things. It's full of work. It's full of labor. It's full of preaching to others. It's full of raising our families. It's full of loving our relatives. It's full of so many things in the church and the family and the world. But when you have time, what does your mind go to? What do you do with your time? Day and night, constant, continual, incessant watching. Speaking. Speaking to who? Speaking to the one they're looking to, God. They're not looking primarily at Herod or the Pharisees or the Babylonian rulers. 
They see them. Yeah. But their, their goal, their eye is on heaven, and they speak to God. Verse 6 again, the last half. Ye that make mention of the Lord, keep not silence. Verse 7, and give him no rest, an incessant, full-time privilege. Incessant alertness is inherent to the work of a watchman. Since he uses the name watchman for those who watch heaven, we expect it to be incessant. We expect it to be full-time. I lived in Africa for quite a number of years with my parents and family. Our family often employed a watchman. And when he would be sick or otherwise unable to come to work, then occasionally we boys would have the privilege of sitting outside in the dark, sipping coffee and listening to all the interesting night birds and night sounds and watching for any intruders. The night is long and the coffee gets cold, but continuous attention is required at all times. Your life is at risk if you're a watchman and you fall asleep. Brethren, to just jump right to the application. Pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Thirdly, not only did God appoint these watchmen, and not only is it a full-time incessant privilege, but prayer is pictured by these watchmen on Jerusalem's walls as a human activity that participates with God's activity. What are we reading about in Isaiah 62? We're reading about Israel will be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord, a royal diadem in the hand of thy God. You won't be called forsaken anymore. Your land won't be called desolate. He's going to marry you. He's going to rejoice over you as a bridegroom rejoices over the bride. Promises what God will do. And then he says, I'm calling some people to do something connected with what I'm doing. The watchman's prayer is involved in God changing the tide from national misery to messianic glory in righteousness, from the desolation of judgment to full salvation consummated, from the smoking embers of this sin-scorched earth to the thriving beauty of the new creation. God's going to do that. God is the one who really does all the work. But notice that all through the Bible, God graciously condescends to call men to come alongside him and do something with him so that they taste it, see it, feel it. He doesn't need us. I've said that before. But if through laziness or negligence or distraction we do not do our part in what he's called us to do with him, we are the infinite losers, not he. God will bring Israel out of Egypt back in Exodus. Make no mistake. Moses didn't do it, but yet Moses did it. Through an infinitely unequal partnership, God gave Moses a part in the success. And then Moses failed, so the Lord symbolically sets him aside. The law can't bring you into the land. God will bring Israel into the promised land. And he calls Joshua to do it. Joshua didn't do it, and yet Joshua did do it. God wants Paul to visit Philemon. Philemon, Paul says, prepare me also a lodging, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be given unto you. Is Philemon praying Paul over? 
In a sense, yes. Because God has given us that great privilege of being watchmen, looking to him, calling out to him, and he acts. Would he do it without us? Oh, I'm sure he would. He'd probably raise up somebody else to bless in the process. The Lord's work, we will not get in the way of God's work, but he has called us to work with him. We see this human activity here in chapter 62, verses 6 and 7. I've set watchmen upon thy walls, O Jerusalem, which shall never hold their peace day nor night. They're going to be speaking. Ye that make mention of the Lord, keep not silence. And that word mention, different translations translate it differently. It means to either be mindful or to put in remembrance or to remind, remind the Lord as if he needed it. Call upon. So I think the King James translators were very wise and cautious by using the word mention because it kind of carries several of those meanings without being very definitive. Some other translations use the remind. Well, we don't remind the Lord. We're not his remembrancers, but that is what we're doing when he's made a promise. It's not yet done. We look up to heaven and we say, Lord, didn't you say? That's what Daniel did. That's what Anna was doing, fasting, praying, waiting. And she was looking up to heaven and she saw the one from heaven. This mentioning of the Lord, ye that make mention of the Lord, keep not silence. This mentioning of the Lord demonstrates our faith. You say you are a believer in Christ, his kingdom, his church, his glorious return. A primary way that faith is made visible is through continual dedication to prayer for those realities. Because if you believe, you'll mention it to God. This mentioning, this speaking to God demonstrates our true affection. Do you love Christ? Then your kingdom come, your will be done. Not my kingdom come, but your kingdom come should be on your lips. Come, Lord Jesus. If that's where your love is, if that's where your affection is, so God has called his people into this partnership and it blesses them. It grows their faith. It gives them the experience of seeking him and finding him and knowing they know him. How would you know you knew God if you didn't have prayer? What experience of your life would you have to know that you knew him if prayer was not something that he gave us to enter into dialogue with him? with. This mentioning also keeps us alert and expectant to see God's actions. Why did God create us in the first place? To be the witnesses of his great works in the world, to see his creation, to live out the life he's called us to live, not just for ourselves. He created us for his glory. He redeemed us for his glory. And so as we live a life of being expectant, alert. What promises has God not done yet? Search the scriptures, find them, and then plead them and look out for them. And when you see them, rejoice. Give him no rest, verse 7. No rest, no silence from you for God. 
Does God need reminders? Does he need pressure? No. He wants us to experience this fellowship with him. I asked my boys one time, I said, does God need us? Apparently, I'd already given them the answer in some way or another because one of them answered, no, but he loves us. And that's exactly right. God doesn't need us, but he loves us. The world thinks prayer is absurd. The flesh thinks that it's wearisome. But when a blood-bought, spirit-filled child of God makes an appointment with his Father in heaven, he or she wrestles with the Almighty for the promises that God has already made. And then he goes away like Jacob, supernaturally assured that not only will the promises be fulfilled as promised, but also that in some glorious, amazing way, God has condescended to wrestle with his child and let him prevail. And after Jacob wrestles, God says, you're a great wrestler. I'm going to call you a prince with God. What? Man prevailing against God? That's only because God allowed him to. And God wounded him a little bit so that he wouldn't get any pride. He limped the rest of his life. Brethren, Christ has come. Simeon and Anna had their joy fulfilled. But remember the promises of the Old Testament, of Isaiah, of all the prophets, have at least three phases to their ultimate fulfillment. The root out of the dry ground must sprout. That's Christ's first coming. Then the kingdom must spread throughout the whole world. The knowledge of the glory of Christ would cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. That's the second phase. That's what we're in right now. That's not yet complete. That's an unfulfilled promise. And it's a big, broad promise. The kingdom of Christ is growing, but it's not, it's not full. It's not done. And then there's the third phase. The kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of God and of his Christ. The consummation of all things. Is that done yet? No. God has not released his watchmen from duty. We're still on the wall. There are still many brokenhearted to be bound up. There are still many captives to be liberated. Appealing to Isaiah 61. There are still many bound in sin to be set free from Satan's prison. The day of the vengeance of our God has not yet been revealed. Beauty for ashes is, not, ashes is not yet fully our portion yet. Joy for mourning is not yet fully ours. So, brethren, keep your post on the walls of Jerusalem. Let's put it all in New Testament terms, and we'll just run through, not because they're not worth meditating on, but just to give us a snapshot of the glory of prayer as the watchman of the New Testament. Watch and pray that the promised kingdom of God would come. Watch and pray that the Father's expressed will would be done on earth as it is in heaven from the Lord's Prayer. Watch and pray that the Lord of the harvest would send out laborers into his harvest. From your vantage point on the wall, can't you see the fields? Are they not white unto harvest? Your Lord who appointed you as a watchman said, pray therefore the Lord of the harvest. So give him no rest. Whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing, ye shall receive. Whatsoever ye shall ask the Father in Christ's name, he will give it to you. Ask and ye shall receive, that your joy may be full. The work of a watchman. What is it? A glum and sour work? No, joyful. We go out and we look and we wait and God answers our prayers. Wow, I have a relationship with the king of the universe. It's amazing. Joy, full. 
as a watchman, watch and pray that you enter not into temptation so you don't fall when the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. Pray always and do not faint. Pray, now, Lord, behold the threatenings of your enemies and grant unto your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of your holy child, Jesus. God still does wonders. I'm not a charismatic, but I sure could use some charisma from him, some free gifts from him. I'll take all that he'll give. I don't want to make any up. He does great things. He saves sinners. He transforms ruined people, ruined by sin. As Paul beseeched the Roman watchman on the wall, the book of Romans, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit, strive in prayer for me, Paul. So we can say strive in prayer for God's servants, ministers, preachers, elders, as you What I'm doing is saying, okay, we had this, God says, I set watchmen on the wall. In the New Testament, we come and we look, what's the life of a Christian like? Does it have that character? Yes. What are the Roman Christians, the rank and file of God's people in the church in Rome, the pew sitters in Rome, what are they supposed to be doing? Striving with God for Paul. Why? They're looking up, looking at God, looking at his promises and pleading for their fulfillment. And didn't God appoint Paul as a, apostle, and so therefore, that's a promise that he would do something with him, so God do it. Didn't God appoint us an elder? Let's cry out to God. Oh Lord, it's an implicit promise. Do it through him. Strengthen him. Hold him up. Strive in prayer for your elder. Paul said to the Corinthians, I pray God you do no evil. Why? Well, the promise, the unfulfilled promise is that in the new covenant, God would do wonderfully transforming ethical things in his people. He would put his law on their hearts and they would still have the the flesh with them, but there would be this glorious transformation that would be so different from the old covenant. And so Paul looks at the Corinthians and he sees the promise not fully fulfilled yet. And he says, I pray you do no evil. He's looking up, praying for them that God would fulfill his promise. Pray always, Paul says to the Ephesians, pray always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watch. What's your work? A watchman. What do you do? A watch. Watch thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints, even all the way through hundreds of years of unlikely times where you don't see the fulfillment of God's promises. So, continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. With all praying for us, again, Paul is talking to the Colossians, the apostles, the representatives of God's ministers, that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ. What's the unfulfilled promise God said, I'll make you a light to the Gentiles. He said that to, in Isaiah to Christ and by extension to his apostles, by extension to his church. And so Paul says, pray for us that God would give us the, the utterance to speak the mystery of Christ to the Gentiles. It's an unfulfilled promise. We're in that season of fulfillment. We, we've received part of, the, part of the blessing. Christ came. It, that's most of the blessing. 
He came, he lived, he died, he rose again, he ascended, and now we're seeing the promises being fulfilled. So pray, because God appointed you as watchmen to pray for it, to see it happen, to be full of joy, and to pray for more. And when you remember that glorious ultimate promise of our great king who appointed you to the wall, surely I come quickly, pray, amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Pray this all the while looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look. Watchmen, what do they do? They look. But he's not watching for danger in this t- at this moment. He's looking for the new heavens and the new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Is there anyone here who does not pray? Do you not pray? You have no place on the walls of Jerusalem. You are not a watchman if you do not pray. I warn you, I solemnly warn you all the prayers of God's multitude of faithful watchmen across this globe today are against you. They pray for Christ's kingdom, which you resist. They pray against your sin, which you love. They pray for judgment and justice and righteousness. And when Christ returns in answer to millions of prayers, the answer to those prayers will be your eternal sorrow and misery. What should you do? Pray. Pray broken over your sin. Pray with an eye to the king who calls you to himself. Pray to the one who is both God and man who died upon Calvary's cross and rose again and ascended up on high. He answers prayer because he ordained it. Amen. Let us pray. Oh, Father in heaven, thank you for prayer. Draw us all close to you to pray often, to pray fervently and to pray without ceasing. Forgive us for our laziness as watchmen on the wall and make us more believing, more clear-headed, more joy-filled. Lord, help us to not be content with the joy we have, but I pray we would be those who greatly desire more joy. And Lord, I pray that all those who are prayerless would be made prayerful. Set them on the wall. Make them those that look to heaven, even through unlikely times. For Christ's sake, amen. Amen. Stand with me, please. Our benediction will be from 1 Peter. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect. Establish, strengthen, settle you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed.